Hey, thanks for listening to the Reclaim Podcast. You can go ahead and find our church on Facebook and Instagram at ReclaimTX. We hope you enjoy the message. I want to teach you the word this morning. Are you ready? Okay, I want to talk to you this morning about the baptism with the Holy Spirit and what it truly means. So, thank you, Mr. Ismail. Give your fingers a rest. I am first and foremost going to need you to turn now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're going to go to verse 23. Now, for those of you wondering, I am in the New Living Translation. There's something I love about it. It's got a perfect blend of accuracy, and it's very readable. It has some readability to it. No, they don't, they don't give me any Bibles or anything to endorse them. I just really like the New Living Translation. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This portion of scripture is going to lay the foundation for something that I truly want you to grasp. This, this is foundational. So if you can learn this simple principle that I'm about to lay down with 1 Thessalonians 5.23, then God will really set the, the foundation. Can we shut that door, please? God will set the foundation for your spiritual life. This is the key right here. You know, yeah, drown them out. It's just play. <laughs> Nothing spiritual about it. Just lay the, there you go, lay the foundation. Is that my Rylan? Oh, my little Rylan. She's praying in the Holy Ghost already. Usually I get angry, but I don't know why. I think it's so cute when she does it. By the way, I'm a father now. Precious little Aria, who uh, is at home right now. Her mom's with her. She's not alone. And so she's enjoying uh, her time with mother. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23. I'm going to read it. And now look at me, guys. This is very important. Listen. This is so important that you understand this foundational truth. This is an ancient truth that really established many of the early church fathers. This is an ancient truth that many of the martyrs taught and knew about themselves, which is why they were able to walk with such power. So 1 Thessalonians 5.23, a very simple, unassuming scripture, but I'm going to show you something from it today, that if you can grasp it, not only will it transform your life, but this simple concept will stabilize you and lay a foundation so that you'll stand firmly in Christ and you'll never backslide. You'll never fall away. You'll never come to the place where you turn your back on Jesus if you can grasp this. How many want to be here two or three years from now still serving the Lord? I, I don't know. I can't tell you how many people I've, I've, I've run this race with and we're running, running, running. They get tired and they stop running the race. And we all know somebody who at some point was running the race with us, but life took them away. Distractions took them away. Something took them out of that race. And so this morning, I want to give this to you so that you can understand how to lay that foundation. Are you ready? Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Now understand something here. This is a short scripture. It's unassuming, as I said, but I want you to notice it mentions three aspects of human nature, and I'm going to actually need three people. Actually, perfect. Look, look, Steve, right in the back. These three gentlemen. Come on up. I need you three up here. Okay. Come stand right over here on this carpet. 
go. Now, everybody say this, body, soul, spirit. Okay. You're going to be the spirit. So look like the spirit, please. You don't have, I'm just kidding, you're good. You're the soul. And I'm sorry, but you're the flesh. It does happen on a daily, right? Like the, Paul said, I die daily. I want everyone to repeat after me. I am a spirit who has a soul that lives in a body. I am a spirit who has a soul that lives, that lives in a body. Now, I have a, I have a question for you here. Knowing what you know now about body, soul, and spirit, I'm going to ask you, are you, your, are you your, your soul? No. Are you your body? Are you your spirit? You are your spirit. Now, your body, some would say, is evil unto itself. And you have to understand, especially in the New Testament, Paul the Apostle often talks about the flesh. And we've been trained and programmed to believe that the flesh in and of itself is wicked. In other words, we've been trained to think that this physical body is something that's sinful. That, that it in and of itself is this evil thing. Now, it is decaying. It is dying. It is corrupting in that sense. But the Bible tells us that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So if my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, it means it's a holy tabernacle. My physical body can become a carrier of the presence and the glory of God here on the earth. I remember I was ministering at a conference, and I was taking an elevator in the hotel down from the top floor all the way to the bottom. And I step into the elevator, and I'm, I'm going all the way down. And how many know sometimes you get in the elevator, and someone will stop it, it'll open, they step in, and they ride the elevator with you. So I like to avoid all that because I'm not good at that small uh, chit-chat. And so these two girls walk in. And as we're riding on the way down the elevator, they both begin to weep. Not only are they weeping, they're weeping, they're trembling. Now, they didn't know I had just gone to minister that morning and I was going back for another session. But they were sensing the overflow of that anointing. I said to one of them, I said, what, why are you crying? And she could hardly get the words out. She's trembling. Her mouth is shaking so bad she can hardly talk. She says, I don't know, but there's something on you. That's the glory of God. Your physical body is a carrier of the glory. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Think about, think about how, how they, laid, they laid aprons on the apostle or handkerchiefs. And they would take those handkerchiefs and they'd take it and they'd touch people with it because there was a tangible presence. Think about the woman who touched Jesus with the issue of blood. She touches the hem of his garment and the scripture says he felt, physically felt power flow out of him. It's talking about the tangible power of God, the tangible anointing, the manifestation of his presence. All throughout scripture, I give you example after example of the physical manifestation of the tangible power. So your body is not necessarily wicked and evil. Your body is meant to become a carrier. Your body is meant to be a presence. You realize that everywhere you go, you carry an atmosphere. I don't want to get into an atmosphere. I want to become an atmosphere. carry the glory of God. You can walk in such oneness that your presence becomes his presence. 
His presence becomes your presence. You go places together. You walk in, demons start trembling. You walk in, sickness starts to leave. You walk in, the atmosphere shifts. Why? Because you're a carrier of that glory. That's the physical body. Now, the physical body, we'll call it your earth suit. It's how you experience the world around you. It's how you see. It's how you touch. It's how you feel. It's how you experience the physical realm. Now, your soul is the neutral ground. The soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. It's my mind. It's what I think. It's my will. It's what I desire. It's my emotions. It's what I feel. That is the realm of decision. Now, your spirit is your communication with God. I'm going to show you something in Scripture. This is one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, 1 Corinthians, for those of you wondering, is after Genesis, before Revelation. That joke went over better in this service than the other one. Everyone else was just dead quiet. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading at verse number 9. This is what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. We've all read this scripture. No eye has seen. Very dramatically read all the time, right? Ishmael. No eye has seen. No ear has heard. They get all crazy like that, right? But look at this. And no mind has imagined. But God has prepared for those who love him. Now, this portion of scripture, that verse, is often attached to a sermon on heaven. And they read it and they say, oh, when you get to heaven, there'll be colors you've never seen before. Flavors you've never tasted. They go on and on and on about that. And they, they read that scripture as if it's about heaven. This reality, this revelation, this goodness that God gives to us. But look at what the next verse says. The next verse tells us, but it was to us. What does that word was? That's past tense. It was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. For his spirit, hold this verse, okay? For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Oh my goodness. I want you to really think about that. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's going to shake you up a little bit. You don't need to get to know God. You already know God. I'm going to explain in a moment. You don't need to gain understanding of his nature, you already understand him. You don't need to gain knowledge of who he is, you already possess all knowledge of who he is. Now this sounds counterintuitive to what we've been taught, but this is what the scripture is saying. For his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. And who did he reveal this to? This is past tense, meaning I already know it. The scripture says in Ephesians, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. We have been taught that there are two natures inside of us battling it out for good and evil. When in fact the Bible says you have one nature and it's the spirit. How then can we explain this fight with the flesh? I'll explain that in a moment. But I want to show you something about the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 16 says this. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? Now, that's a rhetorical question, isn't it? Who knows God's thoughts? What is, what is the answer supposed to be to that? Who knows God's thoughts? We say no one. Who knows enough to teach him? No one. But we understand these things. For we have the mind of Christ. What is the mind of Christ? Well, the scripture just told us. The Holy Spirit is the mind of Christ in you. 
So then, everything in my spirit is communing with God. The Holy Spirit searches everything, meaning he searches the knowledge of God. He searches the nature of God. He searches the wisdom of God. He searches the plans of God. He searches the power of God. And he understands all of those things 100%, not a single detail lacking. Are you guys getting this, following me? And all of that I have in my spirit. Now, your spirit was not alive when you were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in sin. Now, you notice in Matthew, Jesus says, don't be afraid of the one who can destroy the body. He says, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. You notice he doesn't mention the spirit there. Because that which experiences destruction is only the body and the soul. Those who are alive in spirit do not experience this eternal punishment. And by the way, it's still biblical to preach eternal punishment. I know a lot of people are shying away from that. But we, church, need to preach the gospel. That's a tangent there. But in my spirit, I have the power. In my spirit, I have the knowledge. The key is getting what is within me to manifest without. People pray prayers. Lord, I need more of your power. No, you don't. Lord, I need more of your Holy Spirit. No, you don't. How can the Holy Spirit be divided? How can the eternal be given in portions? After all, half of infinity is still. You get illogical conclusions when you try to divide the eternal. No, when the Holy Spirit came to dwell in you, he came to dwell in the fullness of power. You did not receive a new convert, Holy Spirit. You did not receive a baby, Holy Spirit. When you received Christ, you received the Holy Spirit, the same one who raised Jesus from the dead. That same Holy Spirit who was with them in the book of Acts, who was hovering above the face of the deep in the book of Genesis. That same Holy Spirit dwells in you. And so now I have all of this. I have all of that power. Is this blessing you this morning? I have everything that God desires to give me here. The question is not, how do I get more of the Holy Spirit? The question is, how does the Holy Spirit get more of me? Because you cannot be full of the Holy Spirit if you're full of yourself. Remember, remember the widow who, who Elisha went to? She says, help me out here because I owe a great debt, and if I don't pay this debt to my creditors, they're going to take my two sons and put them into slavery. He says, okay, what do you have in your house? She says, I just have a flask of olive oil. He says, okay, take that flask of olive oil and fill the jars and then sell that, and that'll be your income. You can pay off your creditors. So they get these jars, and they start filling it with oil. But the moment they run out of jars, the oil stops flowing. The Holy Spirit will flow so long as you give him a place to flow. The Holy Spirit will fill that which is empty. He will empower that which is surrendered. He will bless that which is given. He only goes as much as you give him. The oil can only fill the empty jar. So we have this reservoir of power within us. By the way, I'm still talking about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I'm kind of doing it in reverse so we can lay the foundation for it. Because the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we often focus on the external things. The shaking, the crying, the speaking in tongues. That's a manifestation of the baptism with the Holy Spirit, but it is not in and of itself the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm showing you what it is. So, now watch this. Everything within me, I know. Everything within God, I have it. It's mine. He owns me. 
we're one. Therefore, I don't pray to connect with God. I pray from connection with God. Imagine how much time in prayer you would save if instead of begging God to hear you, you simply believed he already did. I come boldly before the throne, not, not with doubt, not wondering, God, do you hear me? I come bold, I confidence, he hears me. When I speak, I have his attention. When I'm in prayer, his ear is attentive to me. And I'm not worried, I'm not questioning, I'm not asking, I'm not wondering. I come and I know in the spirit, though I may not feel it in my emotions, though I may not see it manifesting in my life, in the spirit, we're one. We cannot be separated. And so, this is the issue. Most believers live their life like this. Everything God has for them, right here. Everything they could ever want or need, right here. Peace, joy, patience, love, power, holiness, all of it here, available to you. It's the source. Now, Jesus said, in John chapter 7, verse 38, and in the King James Version, it says, out of your belly shall flow what? Rivers of what? Living water. Now, some of the newer translations say, in John 7, 38, not out of your belly, they translate it differently, and I assume more accurately so, out of your innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Now, during the flood of Noah, the scripture describes an atmosphere of water that fell to the earth. And during the flood, the scripture says that the fountains of the deep broke open. When God wanted to destroy the flesh, he broke open the fountains of the deep. He does the same today. When he wants to destroy the flesh in your life, he opens the fountain of the deep. The scripture says, deep calleth unto deep. That's your spirit to God's spirit. That's the source that never runs dry. So the baptism with the Holy Spirit is not a flood where we receive like this. Lord, send it down to me. Lord, send it into me. Because that causes confusion when we look at it that way. Because then we ask, well, when did I receive the Holy Spirit? Remember the disciples in the New Testament? They said, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't even know there was such a thing. Jesus breathes on the disciples. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then instead of receiving it that one time, they're back in Acts chapter 2 having to receive him again. I thought, what is this second experience that the scripture is describing? It's very simple. At salvation, I receive the Holy Spirit. At baptism, I release him. Not released to me, released in me. And that baptism overcomes you. It floods you. Now, Christian life, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, I believe, please on the screen. Ephesians 5, 18, the Bible gives us a very simple command. It says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see that, those two words, be filled? It's actually a term in the Greek. It's one term. And that term means literally be filled again and again. Be filled continually. It's not like, don't picture, when that scripture says be filled, don't picture a cup being filled with water. Picture wind going into a sail. 
constantly filling and pushing it forward. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is both an experience and a continual state of being. It's both a well and a river. It's both a static state of water and a flow of water. It is a state of being and it is a movement within you. It's both realities. So this saying, be filled with the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, saying let these floodwaters flow from within to without. You know, they thought the Titanic wouldn't sink because they had this concept of compartmentalizing the different rooms in the ship. The idea was that if one part of the ship was breached, the doors would close up and keep the floodwaters from filling the rest of the compartments. And that would keep it from going under. That would keep the Titanic from being baptized. Baptized means immersed, filled. You cannot be immersed and submerged until you're first filled within. That obviously didn't work, but the issue is some of us try to do that with the Holy Spirit in our lives. You can fill me, but you can't flood me. You, you surrender to the Holy Spirit enough to be blessed, but not enough to be challenged. You surrender to the Holy Spirit enough to be helped, but not enough to be transformed. Oh, Lord, I'll take your healing, but don't change my nature. I'll take your blessing, but don't touch my character. I'll take your spiritual gifts, but don't make me forgive that person. I sense the anointing really strong on this. And the problem is believers like this live facing outward. Can I just be very real and raw with you so I don't waste your time? Can I? Okay, you said it. The gospel that's being preached in America today, primarily speaking, and I know there are remnants, the gospel that's being preached in America today is a false gospel. Come to Jesus and he'll give you this. Look at where they make you face. Come to Jesus, he'll bless this. He'll bless that. He'll bless your finances. He'll bless your marriage. Seven keys to a better this. Twelve steps to a better that. How to improve this. And we're trying to improve, we're trying to build and improve what God told us to crucify. You're trying to build the flesh when God told you kill the flesh. And when we, we focus like this, we're constantly focused on what God is not giving to us, what God's not doing for us. We're going after his hand instead of his heart. Therefore, when we don't receive from his hand, we become disillusioned, we backslide, we become disappointed to God, we become bitter, we become angry, and we say, God, you didn't do what you promised you'd do. And it leaves people without faith, and it shipwrecks their faith because we've told them it's about what you can get from him instead of what you give. We base the kingdom of God around our lives, thinking that God should come at our beck and call. When was the last time you were inconvenienced for the kingdom? We stop the flow of the water. We focus on this. The problem with this is life circumstances go up and down, up and down. They change. They're, it's not a solid rock. It's sinking sand. So then to focus here means that when I'm looking at the external, because the external goes up and down, my emotions go up and down. One Sunday I'm worshiping, the next Sunday I don't know if God exists. One Sunday I'm happy, the next Sunday I'm sad. One day I'm joyful, the next day I'm depressed. One day I'm trusting God, the next day I'm fearful. And it's all going based upon what God's doing in our life instead of what he's done in our life. We're blocking that flow. God wants to let the river flow, but we build a dam when we focus on the external, when we focus on the flesh. You cannot continue in the spirit if you're in the flesh. 
And God cannot build upon what he began in the spirit in the flesh. You cannot maintain it in the flesh. And this is all it means living in the flesh is just living focused externally, focused on the outer. This is why you hear preaching today. It's all about self-help instead of self-abandonment. It's all about what can the cross give to me instead of what can I put on the cross. And so we get a, a group of people that are saying, teach me how to move my mountain. Teach me how to climb. Teach me how to get through. You know, they're always teaching on breakthrough. Can I just be real honest with you now? Do you know what breakthrough means today? It's code. It's new age churchism. It's code. Breakthrough means the day I have no more troubles. Oh, my breakthrough is coming. My season is here. What do you mean? The day you're rich? The day your business takes off? The day you're famous? The day you're, everything's restored about your life? That's your breakthrough? What if that never comes? You know, often people leave every year. Oh, 2015 was terrible, but 2016's it. And then they end up saying, 2016 was terrible, but 2017 is it. 20, 2017, man, that was a bad year, but 2018, this is it. 2018 was terrible, but in 2019. And what, what happens is why? Why do they live that way? Why are they constantly in that flow? Why are they constantly having to find that breakthrough? It's because they're focused externally where things are always doing this. And there's no power. That preaching has no power. That way of looking at Christianity. Has, you know why they're always telling you and teaching sermons on breakthrough and how to climb your mountain? Because they don't have the faith to move it. They don't have the power that can move mountains, which is not found here. That's why it's all focused here. And it becomes dry and, and dead. You can get, I can go to a psychologist and get all that. Give me the power of the Holy Ghost. Give me the power to raise the sick out of their sickness. Give me the power to cast out devils. Give me the power to live holy. That's what I want from the Lord. And we're believing God, breakthrough, 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 breakthrough's coming, breakthrough's coming. That's why we love our New Year's Eve services. Breakthrough, breakthrough, breakthrough. It's a chance to start. What if your breakthrough comes not through an outward change in circumstances, but rather a small internal shift in the spirit? What if this is how God wants to give you your breakthrough? You see, when you live like this, it doesn't matter what happens out here. Because I have all the love I need right here. It doesn't matter what's shaking up out here. Because I have peace in here. It doesn't matter how I'm being attacked out here. Because I'm stable and I'm firm in here in the foundation of his love. When we live like this, that floodwater opens. And begins to baptize us to overcome us. This is why I believe Paul the Apostle wrote, I'm pressed, but I'm not crushed. You can persecute me out here, but I'll never be abandoned in here. And you could even strike me down, but I can never be destroyed. I am a spirit who has a spirit. What is that I'm talking about? It's the baptism with the spirit. It's the release of him. I'm going to share one story, and then I'm going to quit here. Has this blessed you this morning? You know, Paul the Apostle once said, when he was taken to the third heaven, and he didn't know if it was a dream or if it was a vision, actually went. I have a similar experience, but not because I'm spiritual. It's because I don't remember if I fell asleep or not. 
I'll call it a dream for the sake of conversation. Suddenly, I was standing in front of the entry of a large cave. Rock formation cave, really dark inside. I could hardly see a thing. Standing beside me was this brilliant light, and I just knew it was the Lord. How many of you ever had a dream where the Lord showed up, and you just knew it was him? And there he was with me. And the Lord asked me, may we enter this? And I remember in my dream, I said, yes, Lord, we can enter. And as we moved forward, that light filled the cave. But it didn't end there because we traveled through caverns and turns and caves and sections all throughout the entire place. And with every room we came to, the Lord would ask me, may I have this room? And I would say, yes, Lord, you can have it. And he was very polite each time, very kind. May I have this room? I'd say, yes, Lord. And then he'd fill it with his light. May I have this room? Yes. And then he'd fill it with his light. May I have this section? Yes. And then he'd fill it with his light. And it went on like this for several different sections. And finally, we came to this one place. And the best way I can describe it is that it was just especially dark. You know, there's darkness and then there's deep darkness. And the Lord asked me once, he said, may I have this too? And I didn't answer him right away. I can't tell you what that was. I still don't know to this day, but I struggled to give that to him. He didn't repeat the question. He didn't keep asking. He just stood there patiently waiting. That's the thing about the Lord. He'll speak once and then not speak again until you've obeyed what he's already spoken. This is why some of us avoid our prayer life because we don't like what he's already told us and we don't want to go back and hear it again. But I was there in that place. And I remember there was this deep warfare within my spirit struggling back and forth. I was like, I don't want to give this up. I don't want to let him in. I can't let him in. And after battling back and forth for I don't know how long, I finally said, yes, Lord, you can have this too. And he stepped in and filled it with light. And then I woke up. I said, Lord, what was that? What did that mean? He told me, those caverns represent your heart. constantly ask you to surrender. Church, for the rest of our lives, we will be surrendering. For the rest of our lives, we will be making room for the Holy Spirit. My question is, what is that which is holding up the flow? What is the dam you've built in your life? What is that one area that the Holy Spirit has asked for and you say, Lord, you can't come that far. I want to keep that for myself. What is that one area where you're saying, Lord, I cannot surrender this to you? What sin is there in the side of your life? Not big enough to get you caught, but small enough to torment you in your heart. To where it's destroying you and eating you away, and you can't find breakthrough for it. What is that unforgiveness that you hold within your heart against people, against institutions, against the church, that you cannot seem to let go? 
What is that area of reservation and hesitation where you say, Holy Spirit, I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not comfortable with that gift. I'm not comfortable with that type of flow. I'm not comfortable with this level of anointing. I only want you to come this far. What is that part of your heart that he's asking you for that you're not letting the floodwaters flow? I'm telling you, whatever it is, that is the part of your life that is holding up the river and the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Fighting it. And deep within your soul, you know. Deep within your spirit, you know that you're holding on to something. Whether it be your pride, whether it be your ego, whether it be clinging to your convenience. God, I don't want to be inconvenienced for your kingdom. I'd rather just attend church now and then, but I don't really want to get involved. Before I start having to rearrange things. That is a stop to the flow of the Holy Ghost in your life. Jesus told us where to put it. You put it on the cross. Some of us have allowed that flow. And then we let the things come off the cross. And if you hang on to that, you'll never experience the free flow of the Spirit in your life. You'll never experience that river. I'm challenging you today. Receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit, not just once, but for all time, again and again and again and again. Receive Him. Receive the Holy Spirit. Welcome Him in every aspect of your life. Welcome Him. You know what I love to tell Him? Holy Spirit, I want you to feel at home in me. I don't want you to feel like you're intruding. You know, everywhere else he goes, he's rejected. Not here, Holy Spirit. You can be at home in me. You know when he feels at home? When you surrender. You stop fighting him. You stop resisting. Let him fill the empty spaces. How many of you have sensed the Holy Spirit working on you? Let me see your hand. Thank you again for listening to the Reclaim Church podcast. For more information on our church, you can visit our website, reclaimchurchtx.com.